Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. I do appreciate you tuning in again today. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and this is a ministry of Bluegrass Pike Baptist Church from here in Danville, Kentucky. And we welcome you to today's program. As always, I invite you to get your Bible open and follow along as we look in the Word of God and make comments as time allows. This week, we're going to be back in Isaiah chapter 5. We've been looking at a very important topic and trying to explain, according to the Word of God, some of the reasons for this passage. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 5. Look at verse 11 with me. And the Scripture says this, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial, the tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hands. Therefore my people are gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge. And their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself, and opened her mouth without measure. And their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. And so we've been looking over the last couple of weeks at why hell is enlarging itself. And uh, we have come up with some basic problems. If you recall the first time we looked into this subject, we talked about foolish parenting was helping to populate hell. And we got that, uh, that truth from Proverbs chapter 23, verses 13 and 14, which were clear that if a, a parent failed to train their child properly and chastened them the way the Bible instructs, that they were preparing a soul to reject the gospel and end up in hell. That's the whole point of if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him and shalt save a soul from hell was what the verse said. But uh, one of the reasons hell is getting larger is because this generation, my generation and down, has been lied to about how to train children. And because of our selfishness, we are not interested in putting the time in to other people, including our children. And so we just let them uh, grow up like weeds and do whatever they feel like doing. And so if you have a child and you're training them that way, a.k.a. not training them, then they're going to grow up and chances are they're going to have one more reason to reject the gospel. And we talked about that. Foolish parenting is helping to populate hell. And then last week we looked at forgetful people. The scripture says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. And we talk about how America has forgotten where she came from, who blessed her, and how she was uh, started some 230-some years ago. And, uh, of course, the void has been filled with man's comfort. Men are interested in drinking. They're interested in fornication. They're interested in sports and racing. They're interested in music uh, and entertainment and leisure time. And they want all of that because it numbs the pain and allows them to escape uh, their thoughts and conscience that troubles them. And it gives them an opportunity uh, to forget God. And we talked at length about that the last time we were in this passage. And of course, that's another reason that hell is populating itself Uh, beyond measure and opening her mouth without measure. This week, let's look at a third reason why hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. Look at, if you will, in your Bible in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, one of the greatest uh, passages on the doctrine of hell found in the Word of God. And of course, this morning, I'm not here to argue with anyone about, is this a parable? Is this not a parable? Of course, it is not a parable simply because Jesus Christ tells you 
or the Bible, the Holy Spirit will tell you when Jesus was about to speak a parable. The reason I know that is oftentimes you'll be reading in the Gospels and it will say, Jesus spake unto them this parable, or he spake this parable unto them. And when you come to Luke chapter 16, verse 19, there is no mention anywhere about a parable. And in verse 19, he says this of Luke chapter 16, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. There's another clue why this is not a parable. Nowhere in the Bible did God ever use uh, a personal name of a, an, indiv- an individual in a parable. And right here he uses the beggar's name. He was known as Lazarus. It says, There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And of course, you know the story. I've taught on it, preached on it many times on this program. The rich man died unrepentant. We know he, he knew why he ended up in hell, and it wasn't because he had money. His riches may have hastened his damnation because it made him feel self-sufficient. But when he got into the, the regions of the damned, when he lifted his eyes in hell and was in torments and on fire, he said, I'm tormented in this flame, and he was uh, begging for a drop of water. Before the chapter closes, as Jesus Christ gives this account and opens and pulls back the curtains on eternity, this, this rich man confesses why he ended up in hell. It's because he failed to repent. Because in verse 30, he was speaking of his family that was still topside upon the earth, and he wanted someone to go to speak to his, uh, to his father's house to speak to his five brethren. And he told Abraham, if one went unto them from the dead, quote, they will repent, showing you that the rich man knew he was in hell because he had failed to repent. Now, riches many times the Bible says, uh, are a high wall in our conceit. And many times rich people are very proud and arrogant people because they feel as though they have the world by the tail and they don't even need God. Because everything they need, any, any favor, any uh, issue that arises, they can meet it with money. Money answereth all things, the Bible says, but it numbs many men to their need. But the man did not go to hell because he had money. In fact, the Scripture says, The love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. It's the love of it. And, of course, this man loved his money, and that may have hastened him or uh, caused him to be numb to the fact that he needed to repent today. Well, it was too late when he died, and he was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. So he populated hell. And we're studying this uh, today about Isaiah 5, 14, that says, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, This week, here's another reason we're going to look at of why hell is overflowing and uh, overflowing its banks and why hell is enlarging itself. And that is, in this passage, we're going to see that Christians are failing in their duty. Failing Christians is another reason why hell is populating and enlarging itself. You say, where do you get that from this passage? Well, look at verse 27. This conversation that is taking place between the rich man and Abraham, in verse 27, he says unto Abraham, I pray thee therefore, Father, 
that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. What he's requesting is Lazarus, who was comforted in paradise. The, uh, Lazarus was the beggar in the story. And he can see Lazarus comforted over there in Abraham's bosom. And so in verse 27, his request to Abraham is that he would allow Lazarus to go back topside on the earth, rise from the dead. And here's what he asks him to do. He says, uh, send him to my father's house, verse 28, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So you know what the rich man who died and lifted his eyes in hell, do you know what he requested? He requested that someone like Lazarus, he obviously must have known that Lazarus knew God because he wanted Lazarus to go back from the dead and to go to his father's house to testify to his five brothers. Listen, this man is honest. He is sober as a judge. He's in torment and he is begging for a drop of water. But one of the things that troubles this man is the thought of his family dying and coming to the same devil's hell that he found himself in when he died and was buried and lifted his eyes in hell. And so he wants someone to testify to his own family. And can I tell you something this morning? If you are listening to this program and you are saved, washed in the blood, you've been born again by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your own Savior. If that is your condition, and I know many, many saved people listen to programs like this, so a large portion of my listening audience today uh, would profess to be saved, having passed from death to life, no condemnation because they're in Christ, they've trusted Christ, they've called upon His name, and they're looking to Him to present them faultless in the day of judgment. What a glorious, wonderful condition to find yourself in. I often holler in our church services and in churches that I'm at, I often holler, it's good to be saved. And it is good to be saved. But I want to tell you, one of the things that the Spirit of God will do to you when you get saved is He will give you a concern and a burden for other people. He'll give you a concern and a burden. The first people you'll get concerned about is your own family. And he'll begin to, you'll begin to want to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ like you are. I believe it was Spurgeon who once said that, uh, he goes, Mark it down that if you have no desire to see others saved, you are not saved yourself. You see, when you, when you get in on the goods, when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, and you know that your mountain load of sins have been washed away in the crimson flow from Calvary, and you know that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit under the day of, of redemption, you've been sealed with that spirit of promise, you know what you want to do? You want to tell somebody. And you know what the command was? One of the last things the Lord Jesus Christ said after he come up from the dead in Acts chapter 1. He said, Ye shall be witnesses unto me after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He commanded his disciples there in Mark 16 verse 15. He said these words, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Can I tell you something that the great, one of the great responsibilities and privileges that we've been given as Christians is to tell the old, old story. And you know what God in His mercy and kindness does? Many times He uses a good word that we speak or a clear witness we give to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what He'll do? He'll use that to bring a person to repentance and faith. God uses means. He uses men. He uses servants. Paul said, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, I believe it is, 
He says, I have begotten you through the gospel. And we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what I preach on this program and in the pulpits that I'm in? In our home church here at Bluegrass Pike and on the street corner and when I'm allowed into a home or into a jail or a nursing home, I do my best to lift up Jesus Christ and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Because listen, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The Bible says, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And so you know what we're supposed to do? We are supposed to be testifying of the good grace of God and of what Jesus Christ did for sinners on Calvary's bloody cross. And notice that's the request of the rich man in hell. He said, Send Lazarus. For I have five brethren. Now look at it. Verse 28 of Luke 16. He says that he may, quote, testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And so you know what he wanted? He wanted a testifying man to go to his brethren. And you know, we're called to be witnesses. But here's something for you to think about. What good is a witness if they're silent? If you are a true born-again Christian, if you are saved, you are a witness. You've experimented, I'm sorry, you've experienced uh, in this life what it is to be saved and to have the new birth. You know that. You've been through that. You know what it is to be saved. I'm talking about people who are truly born again. And you can be and are a witness to that fact. However, a witness that is called into court that refuses to testify is of no value in the courtroom, before the jury, before the judge, and before the people. A witness, did you hear that? A witness that will not testify. You must be willing to testify. And a real witness, someone who knows, they, they've seen God do something, they know about what God can do. The Christian is told to go and to preach and to witness. The way a witness is usable is when that witness will testify. That's why John said in 1 John 4, 14, he says, We know and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's what our testimony is. Listen, when we're on the street corner in Harrodsburg, when we're holding signs and handing out gospel tracts and striking up conversations with passerbys there in Danville, it is not to promote ourselves and it is not about our church and it is not about uh, do-gooders trying to show off on the street corner. No, my friend, we're simply trying to fulfill the part of the Great Commission and that's one legitimate way to get the job done. And that's to go out in the highways and the byways and c compel people to come to Jesus Christ. And the way to do that is to open your mouth and speak up and testify of what Jesus Christ has done. Do you know why hell hath enlarged herself? Because of failing Christians, Christians who are silent saints. Do you know that the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, when Philip was sent by the Spirit of God to join himself to the uh, Ethiopian eunuch's chariot, it says over there when he asked the question, Understandest thou what thou readest? The Ethiopian eunuch said, How can I except some man should guide me? And the Bible says that Philip joined him, and it says he began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. It says he opened his mouth. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter goes to Cornelius' house, there's a passage over there in Acts 10 that said Peter opened his mouth. And what we've got a plague of is 
uh, of dumb Christians. And when I say dumb, I'm not using it in the slang, in, a, in a, the way of the slang term. Dumb is in the sense that they will not speak up. They're afraid. I remember one time reading, and it was great encouragement to me. I read a book about the life of Dr. Dallas Billington. Dr. Billington started the, uh, a great church. It was a great church at one time. It's twice dead plucked up now. But back in the 1930s, he started the Akron Baptist Temple in the city of Akron. And that church grew in unbelievable, uh, just unbelievably, it grew through the years. And uh, he began after 20 years of that church being started there in Akron and being so successful, winning thousands to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Dr. Billington would be invited to other places to help him start churches. So him and his wife were traveling one time back in the mid-1950s, and they stopped at a restaurant, I believe in Arizona. And in that book, he talked about having the courage to stand up and speak up for Jesus Christ. He said, I always wondered if I was put in a position that might cost me a little embarrassment if I would be willing. And he said that him and his wife were seated in this very nice restaurant as they were traveling. He said the restaurant was full of people. And he said that there was a man who was the greeter at the door of this restaurant, and he had a microphone, and he could address the restaurant from time to time and, and tell them things and, you know, stuff about the menu and welcome to this restaurant, so forth and so on. And he said they hadn't been seated very long before that man came on the uh, announcement over the PA in the restaurant, and he began to talk about how he wanted to share with people some things that had helped him. And he mentioned the fact that growing up, he had gone to the Methodist church and the Baptist church and had been scared to death with the doctrine of hell. He said, I'd gone to the Baptist church and heard about the rich man who died and went to hell. And then I went to the Methodist church and they preached about Jesus speaking of where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And he said, uh, I was scared in both churches. And he goes, as I grew older and began to study for myself, he goes, I came across um, Unitarianism, which basically it that's a religion that denies the doctrine of hell. And he, he begins to expound how that if you've been afraid of that kind of teaching and that kind of doctrine, that he had some literature he would like to share because uh, you don't have to worry about all as well. There is no hell is basically what he was saying. And he said that the restaurant kind of quieted down. And he goes, here I was having heard this man deny the Bible, deny the blood of Jesus Christ and deny the truth of a place called hell. And he said, here I am, a, a doctor of divinity, pastoring one of the largest Baptist churches in America. Nobody knows me. And he said, I thought, what am I going to do? And he said, at that moment, he tapped his glass with his spoon and got the attention of the entire restaurant. And he stood to his feet and he says, you know, he says, it's a free country and certainly anyone can hold any opinion they would like to. But he said, I would like to say that our dear friend here that just addressed you over the PA I'm sorry to hear that he didn't hang around the Baptist or the Methodist church long enough to hear about what the Bible also says about how you don't have to go to a place called hell. He says, hell is certainly real because our lovely Lord Jesus often spoke of it. And he spoke of it as a place where they weep and wail and gnash their teeth. And the Bible says the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. But he says, your friend here, he goes, it spoke to you, never told you that God did not design hell as a place for you and I to reside for eternity. He said, but he sent his precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God, to die in our place on the cross and pay for our sins with his own blood and three days later rise from the dead. And if you'll turn to God and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll never have to worry about going to this awful place of the damned called hell. He said, just wanted to let you all know that. I'm a stranger here. I'm not from this area. But he said, I wanted to speak up 
because I don't want to deny my Lord and Savior. And I feel like that if I hadn't said something today, I would be doing just that. And he said as he began to sit down that the entire uh, restaurant erupted in cheers and applause. And, of course, remember, this is the America of the 1950s. Most of the people there uh, probably were professing Christians, and most of the churches that they went to still preached the doctrine of hell at that time. You'd probably, if you did that today, you'd get booed out of the restaurant. Maybe not. But uh, what's my point? My point is we are put here as Christians to be salt and light, and one of our great duties, one of our great privileges, one of our great responsibilities as born-again believers is to tell others about Jesus Christ. Because, listen to me, my friend, the blood will be on your hands of everyone that you could have spoken to that you didn't. Every name, every coworker, every fellow student, every fellow community member, your neighbor, uh, your, your friends, your family, the people that the Lord puts upon your heart to speak a word to, when you cower down and talk yourself out of it, the Bible speaks of having blood on your hands. Paul speaks in Acts chapter 18 that his hands were clean from the blood of all men. How could he say that? Because he had made the gospel truth available. Listen, I cannot save anyone. You cannot save anyone, but Blessed be His wonderful name. We do have a job to do. We are to be His witnesses and testify of Him. We are to preach the gospel to every creature. We're to be involved in missions. We ought to give to missions. Does your church have a missions program? Do you send missionaries around the world preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ? Do you carry gospel tracts in your, in your purse, in your wallet, in your car? Do you, do you pray about opportunities to speak up for Jesus Christ? Do you make visits on people? Do you try somehow to propagate the gospel? Friend, I'm telling you, we saw in Isaiah chapter 5 over these last couple of weeks that that awful place of the damned uh, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, that awful place described in the Bible throughout its pages, Old and New Testament, says that hell hath enlarged herself and hath opened her mouth without measure. And one of the reasons that hell is growing larger is because of the failure of Christians to testify of what they know. Silent saints are sinful. As I studied uh, not too long ago, was reading some books about that awful tragedy that took place back in 2001 in our country on 9-11. And most of you remember, the whole world remembers that awful day in American history where two landmarks, uh, towers that were 110 stories high each, came crumbling to the ground and took thousands of lives that day. And, you know, I read a story about a fireman by the name of Oreo Palmer. I encourage you to read his life sometime or read about what he did that day. He was one of New York's finest firefighters as far as his health went. He had won the New York Firefighters Health Award five years in a row. Uh, he was just a healthy man. He was in great shape. He ran in a lot of marathons, was in the best of shape. And he was able that morning in the South Tower to get the elevator working again, and he was able to get himself to the 40th floor. And he got off the 40th floor, couldn't get the elevator to go any higher, and he got off there at that floor, and he began to go through the stairwells with 60 pounds of fire equipment on his back. And he was calling down from his radio to the men on the ground, and they desperately needed an assessment of the situation where the plane had impacted that building. 
And of course, the impact on the second tower was at about the 78th floor up to about the 81st. And so you can listen to the recording of him calling his captain and saying, I'm at the 58th floor. I'm at floor 66. I'm to floor 71. There's a little bit of smoke and there's some debris. I'm to floor 74. And he, he kept going and he got, his voice was just really high pitched and you could hear the intense adrenaline running. And he got to the, the zone of impact and began to give a description of what he had found of the dead bodies and of the people who were uh, injured and bleeding and broken and needed help. And he was calling down for what they would need to minister to those people and to rescue some of those people. And of course, the, the sad part of the day is within four minutes of him arriving at the impact zone, the tower collapsed and Oreo Palmer entered into eternity that day. But you know something that always inspires me as I listen to his radio call to his captain on the ground was the energy and the, and the intense motive of I must get to these people. People are perishing and I must get to them. I can help. I've got the equipment. He had 60 pounds of equipment with him where he could do something. He had uh, the ability to let them on the ground know what they would need on the 78th floor, so forth and so on. And I thought to myself, boy, if we could take out the backbone and the, the spirit and the heart of Oreo Palmer and in the spiritual realm, put it into the heart of every born-again believer. Listen, God has equipped us. Are you listening? God has equipped us as Christians to be able to rescue the perishing. We have the greatest news that was ever given to mankind. A Savior has died. And more than that, a Savior has risen from the dead. And God hath given assurance unto all men in that He raised Him from the dead. There is a full pardon available for all of our sins and failures and filthiness that will clean the slate that will deliver us from the wrath to come, that will keep us from that awful place called hell. And more importantly even than that is the fact that God has set up a system to where when you get born again, you're not alone. You have a resident living in your heart, the Holy Ghost, who will empower you to be able to live above your sin and to live a clean and a prosperous and effective life for the cause of Jesus Christ. We have all of those things. We have the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been entrusted with that. And what are we doing with it? I'm telling you, hell fills up because Christians fail to mention him and to point others to Jesus Christ. Now, they don't all get saved that we talk to. But brethren, some will. Let me ask you a question. Who have you told this week? Who have you spoken to about their soul? Who have you prayed for? Have you prayed for opportunities? Have you been listening from day to day for the leading of the Spirit of God? Do you make an attempt at rescuing the perishing and caring for the dying? I'm just asking because one reason that hell hath enlarged herself is because Christians are failures when it comes to testifying of the glorious grace of God and the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Why not today, Christian friend? Tell God, Lord, I've been ashamed to speak of you. I've been too busy to talk of you to others. Lord, I've been ashamed at times. I've been uh, distracted. Why not confess to God your sin of carelessness in this business of pointing others to Jesus Christ? Confess your failure and repent of it and ask God to strengthen you today. I don't care if you're 16 or 60. Why not today do all you can do 
to try to reach somebody with the gospel. You say, I can't talk to him. Well, could you write a letter? Could you spend some time praying and take the time to write a letter to someone? Send them a gospel track in the mail? All I'm asking you is this. Would you start doing what Jesus simply commanded us to do, which was go into all the world and preach the gospel and to be a witness for him and warn the wicked to turn from their way and to come to Jesus Christ? Hell hath enlarged herself because Christians have failed to preach the gospel and to win souls. Listen, why not today repent of that and go tell somebody about Jesus Christ. May God help you until next week. May the Lord bless you as you serve him.